Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Black Cast on my phone, ready to play right now. Welcome to the Bladcast. Very excited to be back. Talking movies, going to the movie theater, seeing a movie, doing a podcast about it. It feels like old times. As always, I'm Christian Blatt. And if we are going to speak about the movie we're going to speak about, which is No Time to Die, which I think is, the, is it the 25th James Bond? Is it James Bond 25? 25th official movie. 25th official movie, 26th if you count what, No Time to Die or the fake Casino Royale? Well, I was going to say, it'd be 27 if you counted fake Casino Royale and Never Say Never Again. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. I, I said No Time to Die. I meant uh, Never Say Never Again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are those are the uh, the unofficial, exactly. Uh, and of course, if we're talking Bond, we're talking to our pal Hunt, Mark Hunt. And uh, we appreciate you uh, coming on to talk about it. Uh, and uh, that looks like a, it is a, a dry martini shaken, not stirred. The official Vesper martini from Casino Royale. And you have a, a shirt that matches. I am, I am not dressed for it, but mostly because I know that the way that I position my camera, you usually can't see below uh, my shoulders anyway. So I have a uh, Back to the Future shirt on just because it didn't really matter. But uh, a little behind the scenes uh, secret. Uh, of course, our pal Dominicus Saxon in the chat pointing out that uh, this is no time to blat. And uh, we'll talk about all of it. But uh, he jumps right in with, I'm so glad the new 007 isn't Jane Bond. She has her own personality. Now, this is how you reboot a character. I'm looking at you, Ghostbusters. I will tell you. We will talk about Bond in a second. I am equally as unexcited for the new Ghostbusters movie as I was for the previous one. I, I just feel like when they didn't make a Ghostbusters 3 in like 1993, I don't think I needed any more Ghostbusters. You know, when it wasn't going to be those four guys as the Ghostbusters, uh, it's hard to get excited. I know people are probably uh, looking forward to Ghostbusters Afterlife, and I would be happy to go see it, especially at a uh, free screening, press screening, just calling attention to that, putting it out in the universe. Uh, though That is a Sony movie. I've got friends at Sony, thanks to uh, being able to see Venom 2. But in any case, uh, let's uh, just go big picture, Mark. Your overall thoughts. On No Time to Die, Bond 25 slash 27. Wow. Um, well, I, I've i seen it twice. I 80 per, 85% loved it. 
and 15% still trying to take it in. So I so it, it has an asterisk. It has an asterisk. But so far, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I, I think uh, for the most part, I did enjoy it. You know, um, there we'll we'll obviously take uh, the time to really uh, go down into it. But the way that I was thinking about it, to look at the Daniel Craig era of Bond films, um, this for me goes third because uh, I think it's a toss up for me because Casino Royale was so great because it was the first new one, mm -hmm. but Skyfall might be one of my overall favorite just Bond movies in general. I just thought it was so tremendously well done, but also Quantum Solace is one of the biggest steaming piles of shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm a little blinded by many saints of Newark and Halloween kills as some of the worst movies I've ever seen because I've seen them in the last few weeks. But man, Quantum of Solace, I remember it went into production during a writer's strike. I think that they couldn't legally yeah. do rewrites. <laughs> and uh, boy, did it show. And um, Spectre wasn't great either. You know, uh, it was that was more of a disappointment on the heels of Skyfall. But I uh, think I Spectre was, a, I think Spectre's a little, this, the, No Time to Die makes Spectre a little better. If, if you, if Quantum is a, is a epilogue to, to uh casino royale then specter is kind of a prologue to no time to die and they i was surprised how much i, I kind of think specter and it wasn't my favorite it's kind of gone up a little bit because of this movie yeah it's funny because after i saw specter i don't think my expectation was uh to rush and see it again but after seeing this I am more interested in kind of revisiting it because it was a few years ago now, you know, and I think I would probably have a, a new appreciation for it. And there's a I lot remember, that carries over. There's a lot of little tiny yeah. story threads that ca carry over. Yeah. And look, uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, Waltz uh, is uh, tremendous anytime I see him. So uh, I think that uh, to actually get that. And I remember when we did our uh, Blackcast episode reviewing it, uh, we uh, spent a lot of time on the fact that uh, the big reveal was that he was Blofeld was, you know, it was almost like, what do you mean Benedict Cumberbatch is con in uh, into darkness? It's like, yeah, well, who else is he going to be, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think that uh, look and Daniel Craig. So we got five movies out of him, and uh, three of them were good. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's look, That'll get you into the Hall of Fame, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're if if you're always going three out of five, so um, let's uh, just sort of talk about just you know we'll spend time on what didn't work. But you talked about liking eighty five percent, you know, eighty five percent happy with this. Let's talk about some of the biggest stuff that you were happy with. Oh, I mean, pretty much the, literally the first eighty five percent of the movie. The movie starts off. Um, uh, let's see. The opening is the uh, first. We get a gun barrel, which is a gun barrel opening, which is rare for Daniel Craig. I think the La Spectre was the first one that had a gun barrel opening at the beginning of the movie proper. Then we have a flashback to um, Madeline as a as a as a little girl, and again back to Spectre. There's a scene where Bond is talking to Madeline, getting her past, and she talks about. One of the first things, traumas in her life was when the 
this man came to visit their house and he was there to kill them and she had to go under the sink where they kept the bleach get the gun and shoot him so as this is progressing i'm like ah, is this the story she told inspector and then she op- her mom spills the wine she opens the sink there's the bleach there's the gun and i was i was like i was i was impressed with the connection there and for half a second i was thinking oh my god the bleach is that what she, is that what's going to mess up uh Safin's face which wasn't the case but they kind of took that little story she told Inspector and uh, expanded on it. And then we cut right into the, op- the a very long pre- pre-title sequence, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, and after that, it was just a roller coaster ride until the end. Yeah, I think we, we get a couple of uh, false starts, but in a way that, you know, it's all uh, integral to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, let me uh, bring in our other friend, uh, our pal Sam Whitfield, who's also here to talk Bond. Uh, Sam, thanks for uh, joining us to talk. Uh, and we wanted to just sort of get your overall thoughts to start with, Sam. Uh, you know, Mark was saying basically that he was 85% happy with the movie. And that sort of goes through the first 85% of the movie. You know, there's a certain point where it levels off for him. Just what were your overall thoughts, Sam? Well, first off, thanks for having me on. And uh, I hope you guys can hear me okay. You sound great. Um, so I have to agree with Mark. And this is something that we uh, that we talked about. I had Mark on my uh, podcast, Talk Bond last week but yeah I, I would have to agree that like i would say 75 percent, 85 percent of the film was good uh in the words of our friend will sterling it was fine um maybe a little more maybe a little more than just fine um yeah that official I, classification is fine plus is what we in the vernacular of the black cast it, it's basically french for fine plus it's a little bit better than fine I, um, I I really liked kind of the the homages that they made, like to the Aston Martin. I'm glad that they brought those back. Um, glad that they brought, you know, some of the tropes of like more of the gadgets and whatnot. Uh, I feel like they had a really good structure, but then in terms of things, just kind of like Safin as a villain, they, uh, you know, I really feel like his motive was unclear kind of throughout the movie, and um, you know, just kind of little subtle things that uh i feel kind of like undermine the movie uh they would especially kind of when they brought in felix later on and they were talking about like all the adventures that they had and we were like wait we didn't get to see any of what uh felix is talking about so just kind of those things kind of hindered the movie for me a bit i would say overall yeah, I think that uh, we're in agreement that we overall liked it. And, uh, you know, there are uh, some problems with it. Let's uh, all take a moment and we'll talk about uh, Safin, uh, uh, Rami Malik as the villain. And uh, I think that there's sort of like a, a, an interesting foundation for his story that's laid. I don't know how well uh, executed it is. Uh, there's a lot of inconsistencies, which... To me, I don't know, Mark, you can tell me, you usually know more about this stuff. There are a few things in this movie that kind of scream of uh, reshoots that were done. They would have obviously been done a long time uh, before the pandemic. And, you know, the movie sat around for a full extra year and a half. And, you know, just sometimes things 
you know, they didn't seem consistent from scene to scene. And it's not like little continuity things like, oh, he had a hat on here and he didn't have it on. It's nothing like that. It, it just sort of, and, and maybe it's just a, a spotty storytelling, but is there, was there anything significant that was reshot or rewritten to the best of your knowledge? And what do you feel about Safin as a villain? Well, to my knowledge, the producers, and I don't know any different, they said pre-pandemic, like as they were coming up to the April, I mean, this movie's had six release dates. Yeah, the original one was April 2020, or was there? It was originally November 2019. Okay, right. Then Danny Boyle dropped out, and they got the current director, Kerry Fukunaga. They pushed it back to Valentine's Day 2020. And if they'd stuck to that date, the movie would, have, of course, already have come out. It would have come out and it would have made $8 billion. Yep. And then, uh, but then they're like, ah, oh, let's push it back a little more. And then April 2020 was the kiss of death. And then it got back. Then, you know, then it was fall of 2020, spring of 2021. And then finally now. But um, yeah, Safin was, Safin was, and as far as I know, the producer said it, the movie was done, shot. The only reshoots they said they did was, because this was filmed like almost two years. This, well, it was two years ago this was filmed. Um, the product tie-ins with uh, Omega watches and, you know, Bond's supposed to be sporting the latest stuff. Well, these were two years out of date. So they went back and, ins- and digitally inserted an updated Omega face, um, refreshed some of the merchandising. But the, from what they say, the story wasn't touched. And really, there was nobody available during COVID anyway for reshoots anyway. But um, that's what I've heard. That's the official line that there were no reshoots. Um, I don't know about dubbing, but um, yeah, that's true. Cause I mean, there's uh, obviously you can do uh, ADR additional dialogue recording. Right. You can do that from, you can do that from your iPhone and it'll sound fine, you know? So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, let me just, uh, before we start talking about Safin, I just want to bring in again, Dominica Saxon. Uh, the bad guy was pretty watered down, but love that he had a villain lair. You know what? As villain layers go, private island with uh you know a, a lot of the the bells and whistles that was a pretty sweet lair could have been uh, sweeter though i have some yep. com- i have some complaints okay. of that well, hey, but- let's go let's dive right into it if you have complaints about the lair let's get to them and we'll talk we'll talk about the villain after the lair you know let's well, be honest la- we're we're all here for the lair anyway well the lair was pretty much taken from the ian fleming novel you only live twice um except it was blofeld that was sequestered on an island and he had this thing, the Garden of Death, where he was, where he had his little castle, if you will, and it's surrounded, I mean, completely surrounded by this garden of poison plants and things that would, I mean, you'd touch, you would kill, and that would kill you. And so when I heard that, it sounded like, at leading up to this movie, it's like, oh my gosh, they're, they're filming this. I mean, it's going to be Rami Malek's character. Maybe Blofeld will be there. I was really hoping for a lot more Blofeld than we got. But... And then all of a sudden, when they get there, his little poison garden was like this little teeny weeny little little meditation garden with mostly rakes. It was very underwhelming. Um, but again, that was me, my precon- preconception with the uh, having read the book, you know, because a bond in the in the novel, he arrives on the shores of the island by himself because Blofeld has killed his wife and he's out to just flat out assassinate Blofeld. So he he is uh, picking his way through this massive garden of death, avoiding plants and everything, and to, to make his way to, to kill Blofeld. 
And uh, that's what I wanted to see. And it was just, I don't know. Again, my preconceptions, having read the books, I was like, I was hoping for something a little grander than the little teeny weeny little little meditation garden he had. But I mean, other than that, I mean, it was fine. It was fine. It was it was a serviceable. It was Jason Blair asks the all important question: Were there sharks with freaking laser beams? And uh, unfortunately, Jason, there were not. And uh, I, I, I think we touched on it. Sorry, I think we touched on it in the intro. I just want to make sure everybody knows that this is a spoiler-filled reaction to No Time to Die. So we haven't really gone too deep in what happens, but there are going to be some uh, massive spoilers that we have to talk about. So I want to make sure that we make that clear. And I'm sorry, Mark, what were you saying? Oh, I, that, I mean, that was pretty much it. Other than that, I like the base. There was um, nice little Easter eggs. There was a, there's a ceiling partition that has a round overhang that lets light in that had these these beams across it that were pretty much a recreation of Dr. No's lair. Um, of course, a lot of people were speculating that Rami Malek's character was actually Dr. No for a while in the Bond community. I don't know if that was general knowledge. A lot of people thought, oh, this is going to be Dr. No. And um, which mm-hmm. would, after the whole Blofeld thing in the previous movie, is like, oh, you're really going to dip into that well. And thankfully it wasn't. But he pretty much he had a lot of the uh, the tropes of Doctor No from the books, the the obsession with the poison plants or the um, the obsession with the Doctor No from the movie. Kind of had his own little island and kind of had his own little. So he he was kind of a little Doctor No ish. But other overall, yeah, uh, the layer was it was fine. It was cool. Well, Sam, what did you think of the layer and uh, Saf and the villain himself? The the lair, I kind of have to agree with Mark. It, it reminded me a, a lot of the uh, kind of the of like Mark said, the uh, the volcano lair from You Only Live Twice, kind of mixed in with uh, the Apple headquarters uh, in Cupertino. In- interestingly enough, it kind of, they kind of gave me some vibes of that. Um, yeah, and by the way, at the Apple headquarters, they do have sharks with laser beams, so that was the one thing missing from that uh, as well. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, uh, and you know, depending on who you talk to, Tim Cook is more of a Bond villain than uh, Bond villains too. But uh, anyway, no, I I thought the lair was. I mean, I thought it was good that they at least brought it back. Whether or not it was, you know, perfect, I think is up to the individual viewer. I, I certainly kind of enjoyed it though. Um, as far as Savin himself goes, and this is something that Mark and I had talked about previously, like I said earlier, his motives were kind of all over the place. Like, and I guess now would be a good time to kind of mention uh, spoilers, but, you know, his motive kind of towards the beginning of the film is actually to wipe out Spectre, which I found to be very interesting. And then, you know, he goes ahead and does it, and then he changes his uh, plot, like in the final third act of the movie, to be complete world domination, and to just for no explained um, reason. Yeah, for no for no explained reason. And I I kept like thinking, I'm like, did we miss something? And then I, I remember like uh, I went back a second time, and it was like, no, they never explained it. So, and just, he even got to kill Blofeld too. Yeah. Oh yeah, Roy Specter, kill Blofeld, mission accomplished, done and dusted. 
And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, oh, by the way, I want to kill like the rest of the world. Yeah, it's like I'm going to do away with this uh, ultra secret organization hell bent on world domination so that I can dominate the world. Uh, and I thought that um, his interaction uh, with Madeline, I thought, was uh, wildly inconsistent as well. And then when it comes to the fact of using her as leverage against Bond, I think, you know, that certainly adds up. But having the ultimate leverage, in terms of the daughter and the way that the, the moment, one of the biggest moments where I was just sort of like, huh, we just like the daughter, like bites his finger. What's a girl's name? The little girl's name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And so he just lets her go and she runs back. And of course, immediately uh, finds a bond in Madeline. And I was just like, well, this is like, you know, like, I, I don't know what is he is this like a some kind of new uh you know kinder gentler woke supervillain who is, is it's above him to slap a child on the hand and just pick her up and still continue to use her as leverage i that just really didn't add up for me in that moment i'm like this is the ultimate piece of the puzzle that you need it's the one you have you're just going to let her run off because uh you know it's like i'm not going to protect you anymore it's like well, you weren't really protecting her I, Maybe, if, go if ahead you had just I don't know if they were going, I don't know if it's me reading into it. I don't know if the, and I think, again, if they just adjusted the scene, rewrote it a little more, gave us more of Safin, because he did the same, he let his her mother go. He could have let, he could have killed Madeline when she was a child, let her drown, he could have shot her under the ice, he chose to pick her up and let her go. If they had just, if, if that was the motivation for letting the daughter go, if they could have established something like that, but again, they didn't, I don't know. So that's in my mind. I'm like, is that what he's doing? Is he doing it? Because he gave the mother a chance to, to walk away. I don't know. One of many problems I had with a less than stellar bond villain. Yeah. And you know, just because we're on it, the lineage of Matilde and the fact that Madeline insists right away that she's not yours, this goes back to what we were saying before, you know, it, it, like Spectre, Christoph Waltz is, is not Blofeld. Yeah, go ahead. Here's my thing about that. Cause I've had, uh, I've had other people say, well, why does she deny it? When I first saw the movie, he says, he, he kind of like, he's looking at her like, am I the father? And I think she chooses her words very carefully. She doesn't say you're not the father. She just says, She's not yours. Yeah, that's it's a good point. It's almost as if the parenting aside, whether you're biologic, and this, again, this is probably me reading into it. I thought it was rather clever. I, I thought it was maybe her saying, whether your DNA is what fathered her, it doesn't matter. You're, you know, you left me, we left. Yeah. She's not yours. She's, She's not, not yours. in your life. You, so yeah, it was you, almost like you don't need to film a uh, any kind of emotional attachment to this child. Yeah. She's so not it was almost, yeah. it was almost semantics that that's that was fair. very carefully that I thought that she used those words. Not that you are not the biological father, but she's not yours. So don't even, you know, forget yeah. about any connection. You're not in her life. That's interesting. Uh, let me bring in another comment from Domeka Saxon. That's a great point. They should have done a flashback to him saving the mom under the ice, sort of to remind us of the moment. I mean, that certainly could have helped. Uh, what did you think about all of this, Sam? 
in terms of, you know, getting to introducing this character of Matilde of the daughter and trying to basically tell us, maybe like put doubt in the audience's mind that this little girl who is basically a mini me of Daniel Craig is possibly not his daughter. You know, I hearing what Mark just said, I actually think that that's a pretty good explanation, but, but I was, but when, but when she first said, she's not yours, like I, I kind of chuckled a little bit. I'm like, I'm like, of course she's his daughter for them for them to try and play the audience out like oh she's not yours and then you know to reveal like at the end that she in fact is it's like yeah we we already we all knew that and you know i, I think maybe now considering what, what mark said um you know i think that makes a little more sense i did enjoy like uh bond making crepes and you know just doing like I guess dad bond things and then and then showing us a little bit of that. I thought they played that off uh, real well, and then also the fact that they gave Bond's daughter and you know an effective family to kind of fight for instead of just queen and country. I thought that was um, interesting. I was kind of like um, they could have just played off like, yeah, she's yours, but I'm still. I'm still upset that you left, so you don't get to interact. I feel like they could have done that like they did in the Indiana Jones movies, and that would have been just as interesting. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that uh, it, it is an interesting wrinkle to sort of weave into the character to give him a family, which obviously we haven't had before. And uh, the reality being, of course, that, uh, you know, whomever the villain du jour would be going up against Bond uh, would be able to leverage that uh, against him. Uh, So I think that the characters in and of themselves, uh, they worked within the story. I think that there are times where Safin worked well, but uh, I, I agree with you, Mark, in that the disfigured face being something that, you know, I, I mean, they explain it away, I believe in terms mm-hmm. of the, the, the sort of the chemical agent that took out the rest of his family. Right. But yeah. it sort of disappointing, really. Uh, the idea that uh, that's, you know, that that could have been what the bleach was. Uh, it, it, and maybe that's, you know, maybe it's there as a red herring, you know, to think that like, Oh, you're going to get to see this, but instead he's going to save her when she falls through the ice, you know? Well, I My, think it was more, it was more that she had mentioned it in Spectre. So right. they're like, Oh, we, well, we got to have the bleach. Cause I'm sure went back in Spectre when they threw that little tiny story, she tells, I'm sure they had no clue that they were going to do this as a movie, but this was just them kind of ret, not retconning, but going back and saying, Hey, you mentioned the yeah. in bleach, so let's kind of weave that into the story. What were you going to say, Sam? I I guess my biggest complaint with Safin overall was I I feel like I feel like he he had potential to be like a, a really good Bond villain. I feel like he just didn't get enough screen time. I feel like maybe if he had gotten a little more screen time, then maybe you know like fleshed out some of his motives i feel like they they could have made him a really compelling villain i mean rami malik is a really good actor in everything i've seen him in and you know he can he can definitely act so it's not that it's just i feel like 
they underused the Bond villain a lot. And then when they did use him, it was kind of like he was all over the place a, a bit. So. Yeah, I mean, and for me, the biggest disappointment was obviously that we didn't get to see him sing Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. I mean, if you're going to have Freddie Mercury in a Bond movie, like at least have him sing one song, you know, he didn't even go anywhere near Wembley to perform. So uh, that was clearly a missed opportunity. But yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, in the modern era, you can point to a few of the Bond villains where they don't quite hit the mark you know i mean a perfect example would be the fact that you have this great casting of christoph waltz and i'm talking about inspector and you just sort of felt like you know it uh it could have been more so when he was in this again i was kind of excited i'm like all right we're gonna see how this works and legitimate surprise uh for like not once the scene was set up but the fact that you know once the inspector gets taken out and then you feel like, oh, okay, so maybe we're not going. I thought Blofeld was going to kind of be behind everything. He and it been. was going to be. Yeah, I think that to go out as Craig's last movie, I thought that they were building towards something. And now maybe they honestly thought it was more important to have the misdirect and uh, have a, you know, have him. I mean, it's within the first hour he's gone from the movie, right? Yeah. I mean, the, considering Spectre kind of did a soft recon of the whole series saying, Hey, Blofeld is the one that's been behind everything since day one. So I'm like, okay, yeah. that's legit. Okay. If that's what you want to go with specter. He gets at the end of specter. He gets purposefully captured, locked up. And I, in the whole, in this, you know, six years or whatever, five years since, since specter, I'm thinking, okay, the next movie, that's where they're saving for him. That's when we're going to get like the Blofeld. He is going to be behind everything. When they do the the island, he you know maybe Saffin's like an underling, but that's who he should that should have been the big boss to use a video game term. Yeah, that's who should have been at the end. That's who he should have had the confrontation with. And if you're gonna, I mean spoilers, if you're gonna kill Bond, it should be more with at his hand than at Saffin's, because in again to go back to the books for us mm -hmm. book nerds, you only live twice. Bond goes to that island, he confronts Blofeld, and credit to the movie, he strangles Blofeld, and he his last words to Blofeld is, die, Blofeld, die, and he kills him right there in his garden, They and when they're, when they, and they did it on the movie, and I was, I mean, the, the, the Bond geek in me was just like, oh my god, this is, this that is they Bond found Red. a way this to is, sort of capture from the books. Yeah. then he stops, lets him go, and ironically that's what kills him but it was kind of for your big bad guy throughout this entire saga to have him die halfway through and then let you know saffin carry it to the end i again that kind of disappointed me because i theoretically on paper christoph waltz properly written would have been the definitive blofeld i just think he was underserved okay. throughout this whole series and you know, can, he should have been the one at the at the end. Can I just kind of say something echoing off yeah, that about um well when they cut when they cast Christoph Waltz originally as Blofeld, I was like I was like, Oh, hell yes, he's going to be perfect as Blofeld because I remember seeing him in uh in Glorious Bastards as the, the villain in there, and I'm like, 
you know, he can play like a really psychopathic, just like really down, you know, evil villain. So he's he's perfect for uh, Blofeld. And then they really, you know, he really wasn't like scare menacing at all, was how I would kind of want Blofeld as, uh, you know, for the for a villain. I mean, he's he's Bond's Joker and arch nemesis, essentially. Yep. Um, so they underplayed him inspector and i'm like well if they're if they're going to bring him back for the next one i'm like they'd better let him just pull out all the stops like i was initially i was kind of thinking if they would do like a whole dark knight prison break style um thing and no time to die and that he would like escape from mi6 headquarters and then you know he would be like the ultimate mastermind but you know no they like Mark said, I mean, he came out, you know, like Handel Lecter, kind of in that cage, and they gave him like maybe, yeah, they gave him one scene that was like maybe five minutes long at the yeah. most. Now, and... if we were to find that there, you know, maybe they had uh, bigger intentions for him and maybe there was an actor availability issue, I don't know that that's the case. Uh, that would justify it. But it, it seems like a missed opportunity. You're sort of talking about this idea of Blowfield having been the big boss and Safin basically being, you know, the Dwight Schrute, the assistant to the regional manager. You know, he basically would have been sort of more on the ground handling the base and uh, doing some of the dirty work. And I think that considering the fact, and again, we're doing all the spoilers, we've already said it, and we've mentioned a couple of times that we're saying the spoilers, the fact that James Bond dies at the end of this movie unquestionably dies. How fitting would it have been that he and Blofeld die at the same moment, you know, sort of just right there. It's like, you know what, maybe you even got the upper hand a little bit here, Blofeld, but uh, it's all, you know, it's not going to matter because we're not going to be around anymore. I mean, he's, really the the Moriarty to his homes, you know, I mean, when you get these kind of pairings, I think it's poetic in a way if they were to have found a way to do that, but that is not what they decided to do, you know? So what we're, what we're faced with addressing is what they did do. And um, I think that there's a, there's plenty of other things to sort of go through. And I think that uh, as a, as a, a villain in terms of his story, and the portrayal, I think, you know, his backstory, I mean, the setup for Safin, I think that was well done. I think uh, Remy Malik was, uh, was, you know, good casting. I mean, I, I didn't have any problem with it. Um, and, uh, you know, Dominica Saxon is basically saying what I'm thinking. Christoph Waltz and Remy Malik are really solid actors and were sadly underused in this movie. I mean, I agree that you have this opportunity to use them. Uh, you could have uh, certainly done more with them but uh well, i think go back go ahead. to bond history yeah i mean the movie dr no the titular character dr no barely has five minutes screen time if that he comes at the very end he's not on screen that much but he is so well written actually you can see my dr no figure right over my shoulder on this side right here yeah i know it's hard to figure out which direction to point There's Doctor <laughs> no, right over my yeah, shoulder there is um He's so well written. He is. Most people don't even when they think back to Doctor No, like really, he was only on it for five five minutes. But he's so well used in those five minutes. He's he was kind of the template for future Bond villains. 
Um, and I, you know, they could have, they've had that opportunity with this movie, but you know, you know, you're not going to get Dr. No every time. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, uh, sort of the, the Boba Fett of, uh, you know, Bond villains. And it's just like, wait, how many minutes are they in there? How many lines does he have? You know? And, uh, it, it is interesting that we didn't get it. Um, let's, uh, sort of go through uh, some of the other uh, familiar faces that we see throughout. Uh, uh, you know, Sam, you were the one to reference all these uh, adventures with Felix Leiter that we don't see. Uh, did you start to get the feeling that, uh, oh, you know, some of those other adventures might've been better to put into a movie than this adventure? Yeah. I mean, I, I just would have liked to have seen like, you know, maybe like a flashback, you know, but Yeah. I feel like maybe one of those adventures would have even been good for like Spectre or, or something. And I, I was, and I was also like wondering maybe if like, if they were referencing like other, you know, Bond movies too, that like weren't, you know, that maybe we had seen and I'm like, but no, this is Craig's timelines. So it's his own thing. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there was a large, you know, gap in time and, Obviously, it's believable that Craig's Bond has had other adventures off screen. I just feel like, you know, maybe they could have handled it a little bit better and like explaining some of that. I, I feel like I, I know like a few of the audience members in one of my theaters were like, was that like in, an, in another movie? So I think it kind of confused some people who weren't Bond fans. Yeah, I mean, Mark, that could have been a, a nice opportunity to reference some interactions that obviously different actors portraying the roles had in other movies and, yeah. you know, giving the impression that, oh, you know what, a version of that did happen in Daniel Craig's timeline. Yeah, I think you have to use your imagination on that. Unfortunately, sure. there wasn't a lot of Felix in his movies. Yeah. I did like the Felix scenes, though, because, again, to go back to the, the novels, which I have, up here, Ian Fleming novels. In the novels, whenever Bond and Felix get together, they go straight to a bar and they just start drinking and just growing out. And that's the scene where they're together playing their drinking games. That's pure Ian Fleming. And I really love those scenes. And I thought Jeffrey Wright was fantastic. And I've always, after Quantum of Solace, the fact that he wasn't in Skyfall, he was only mentioned in Spectre, I yeah. thought missed opportunity. I would have, and and again, spoilers. The fact they killed him in this movie really pissed me off too. But that's neither here nor there. I would have yeah. liked. I would have liked Felix to have been more involved in the movie to be more of a, a kind of a sidekick throughout this movie, have a little bigger part. Not that Felix ever has a big part in any of the movies, but I like the I like the interaction. Um, but again, yeah, you kind of have to read into it. Like, okay, if you're just going by John Q. Publix perception of jeffrey wright's uh felix not a lot of screen time not a lot of interaction most of it was in 2006 casino royale 2008's quantum of solace and most people probably forgot about that would you feel like it would have been a disservice to the character to have had him do the the wrestling turn being the heel turn you know instead of the logan ash character if it turned out that felix was actually no. No, 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 no. Don't even taint the character feelings. Yeah. Well, that, that I, I wonder no, no, if no. that was a consideration. And that would have like, no, pissed me off. That. Yeah, that's what, that's what I thought. But no, uh, it no, was no. a way that I thought that we could have gotten more out of him. No. Um, but uh, yeah. That would have angered me. 
to no yeah. end. And I they don't want to do doctor. that. I Mark, they don't want to do that. Like, yeah. They, they know they know what Doctor Who has done in the last few years to you. So uh, they want to make sure that they don't. Started. Russell T's coming back. So we'll see. I, I know. Uh, what would, were you going to say, Sam? It would have. I mean, I'm I'm kind of. I'm kind of on the same level as Mark in terms of, I mean, like I've read all, all of the books and whatnot too. So that would have angered me as well, you know, as a fan, I, I do like the fact credit to uh, Jeffrey. Wright, I do like the fact that they've, that they've kept this Felix consistent uh, throughout Craig's tenure. That's something that they've never done prior to uh, Jeffrey Wright, as far as my knowledge, uh, you know, goes. I, I I think they had like that one CIA like standing for lighter in two of uh Brosnan's movies, but I, Jack I, Wade. Yeah, I by do. Joe Baker. I do Mitchell. I, yeah, and I I do like the fact that they uh that they do have Jeffrey Wright all throughout you know Craig's tenure. Like I just you know like I said, I feel like we kind of have a common theme here of them under you know using characters and then. You know, we're supposed to feel like some big connection when uh, his character gets killed off. So, yeah, a nice Easter egg for yeah. Bond fans. When Bond goes into his um, place in Goldeneye and finds a little cigar stub, it's a it's a Cuban Delicatado, which is the exact same brand that Pierce Brosnan was researching in Die Another, of all movies, Die Another Day. He had to go to the Cuban cigar factory and ask for delicatados. And they kind of threw in that little die another day Easter egg. It was kind of cute. Was that in this, the Easter egg? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. When Bond, when Bond goes, when Daniel Craig is at, Go, uh, well, he's a kind of uh, in his Jamaica resort, you know, yeah. he's, he's in retirement. Yeah. That's actually Ian Fleming's golden eye and uh, where he wrote all the books. But uh, he comes in and he finds a cigar butt on the floor and he picks oh, it up. And it's it's a Cuban delicatado, and it lets it kind of lets him know that that uh, Felix was there. It's oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember the moment, but uh, you but know, it's also the the cigar stub. It's also the cigar brand from Die Another Day, which right. was a nice little Easter egg. I thought it was kind yeah. of yeah. No, I, yeah, it's always great when you you have that sort of stuff. Well, uh, you know, we've gone uh, forty plus minutes, and uh, we have not, as of yet, talked about. Uh, 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 Anna de Armas, who is, of course, uh, Paloma. That is our Bond girl. And, uh, you know, she didn't one have of as them. much. She, one of them. But uh, she's uh, she's the one that I'll remember, uh, really, just from that dress. You know, um, she's the one who I'll think of first. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about her. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, there's varying degrees of screen time for this role. Um, what did uh, what did you think of her? I'll ask you first, Sam. Well, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because Anna Darmus is always one of those people. Where, like, a lot of my friends are like, she's really hot, and I've always kind of been like, she's okay, but I don't, I don't really get it. But in in this movie, I definitely understand that now. She was, uh, you know, a, a titular Bond girl, really kind of going back to the, uh, you know, the classic like '70s Bond girl, like I, I guess. Um, you know, kind of uh, unsure of herself, a little dizzy, but not, you know, they they didn't mess with the character too much. I like what we got from her. Um, 
but I feel like they marketed her way more than she actually was in the movie. So, um, uh, and was that a clever wordplay when you referred to her as titular Sam? Were you the, trying to sneak it? Were you trying to throw a fastball by me there on that one? Uh, this bell. is this oh, is wow, the black cast. I oh, wanted no. to let him finish, but uh, I <laughs> also another oh, uh, pun right there. Uh, uh, and uh, great point from Dominica Saxon. Anna de Armas looks uh, slightly better than I do in a dress like that. Yeah, yes, that that was that was intentional and uh, and appreciated. And, yeah, and you know, who knows? I I might finish later. So, <laughs> uh, Mark, what did you think of uh, of her? I do sort of like oh. the the uh, first day on the job vibe we got. Trying to recover her. from Sam's last little statement there. <laughs> know, well, just we all remember what show we're on. It's fine. <laughs> But uh, I liked, I, I, I thought the character reminded me a lot of um, the character Mary, or um, Goodnight from um, Man with a Golden Gun. Okay. She was kind of a ditzy little rookie special agent who was assisting Bond, and that's kind of how this one was. Um, I was more impressed how she could do backflips, karate kicks, gunplay, do all that without popping out of that dress. Holy cow, they must have had that must have been that was that was a feat right there. Yeah, they probably, you know, uh well, I guess you can't crazy glue it, but uh it was probably you know, it's like how uh for I think it was for Iron Man 2, uh Scarlett Johansson would be sewn into her uh outfit, her Black Widow outfit for, you know, every every take that they were not every take, but every scene that they were shooting. So there's probably something about like, well, we gotta make sure it stays on. But you know what? Also Digitally, you can make sure that uh, that your titular character is not too titular, I guess, <laughs> to continue with the theme. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it, it is one sort of one of those moments, you know, where it's like you know, she says something, you know, towards uh, something along the lines of let's do it again. And you realize like, yeah, but they're not going to do it again. <laughs> you know, we're not going to get to see more adventures. And, uh, you know, we'll go we'll spend a few more minutes on this film, but then uh, we should uh, give some thoughts about where we're going next uh, with this franchise, because it will of course continue. But um, let's, uh, you know, there was a comment that uh, Dominica Saxon had earlier about uh, the new uh, 007 uh, portrayed by Lashana Lynch, unless uh, I'm uh, getting my uh, characters mixed up. Um, And uh, what did we think of her? Is it, uh, I, I mean, I think that uh, she was a good character. I liked sort of the the banter between her and Bond. The fact that, uh, you know, there was a, some light comedy where it's like, what number are you if you're not 007? You know, and, and you know, I mean, it's probably unrealistic to think that those conversations would happen, but it's for us. So, you know, we can enjoy that sort of, uh, you know, working the same case, but uh, him working against her. Uh, I liked some of that dynamic. What did you think, Mark? You know what? I was, she was the one character I was like, oh my gosh, really? What are they going to do with her? I was really unsure about. Mm-hmm. And I wound up really liking her character. I thought yeah. she was great. She wasn't, I mean, she was kind of headstrong at the beginning. You know, she was her own character. She was competitive against Bond, but she quickly realized like, okay, this guy's got a lot of sense. So she kind of, not defers to him, but she really appreciates him later on in the movie and becomes a solid, like when they go to, to that Island, she's got his back and she, and she, um, 
she seems to like she, not de- again. I don't want to say defer to him, on it, but she no. But she also realizes skills. the value that he's bringing to the operation that they're in. You know, it's like yeah. you. It's not in her best interest to keep butting heads with this guy. You know, and she I, even and the and the, the moment where she says, you know, she talks to M and she says he needs to be 007 again. Yeah. Um. I I, re- I that was kind of like a nice little scene. I thought it was kind of cool. And um, I was really impressed with her. I really liked that character. At the end of the movie, that was the one character I went in with super low expectations, and she exceeded my expectations. Did was your uh did was your understanding that she was going to be the new 007, or did you not learn that until you saw the movie? I had heard rumors that she was 007. Yeah. I had heard in the little Bond fan community they were like, "She's the new 007." But I took it. I was like, from the beginning, I was like, "Okay." She probably is because he's going to I already knew ahead of time that something's going to happen. and He's going to be out of the game for about five or six years and Felix mm-hmm. is going to bring him back in. Of course, they're going to give away the number again. They're not precious about it. It's not a yeah. hockey jersey, but <laughs> they so she's the new 007. I kept telling everyone, I was like, don't worry. He'll be at the end of the by the time this movie ends, he will be 007 again. That's yeah, that was so that was never a big deal for me. Um but I just, but how she, you know, if she was going to outplay, but I, you know, how they treated the character was more of a concern. And I, I really liked her. I, at the end of the day, I thought, I was like, she was a really good character. She was one of my favorite characters of the movie. Yeah. I think that uh, they, they worked well together once they started working together, but uh, the adversarial nature was also kind of fun to have. What did you think, Sam? Oh, I pretty much agree with everything that Mark said uh i remember when she was first announced i was i was really kind of concerned at her because uh she kind of came out like right around the time everything with the me too movement was happening and so the way that she was kind of pitched it was kind of like uh she was going she was going to be like the woke uh 007 and i was kind of like uh you know Oh no, I don't want you know to get over, hit over the head with this. But no, they actually, you know, she and Bond had like a pithy interaction with each other. But she actually uh, wound up being one of the best utilized characters in the movie. Like she had respect for Bond, like Mark said. And I almost feel like if you if you're going to write like strong female characters, uh, that's the way to do it. Don't write characters that necessarily like talk down to, you know, the the males. But you know, just be like you know hold their own but yet show respect and uh whatnot so i yeah i, I like yeah that. no i and look i i know what you're yeah the the thinking there is that oh okay so there's a new 007 she's a black female and you know the idea that that could have been done for all the wrong reasons uh i can see that kind of apprehension but i think the execution of the character means that uh she was a great choice and uh you know i think that uh, it was fun to watch uh dominica saxon again all over the chat uh, they can't be too precious about the double O agents. I don't recall which movie, maybe a Timothy Dalton, but most of the double O agents get killed when they all meet up. Uh, I'm sure Mark, you know, which one that was. He might be referring to living daylights at the beginning. 007 and two other double O's go on a training exercise on Gibraltar and two right. of them get taken out and bond has to take out the assassin. Right. Yeah. So, what are you talking about? Yeah. I see. I knew that you would know. Uh, in terms of, you know, uh, kind of closing the book on the uh, Daniel Craig era, 
Um, what did we think, you know, consistently over the course of these movies? Um, I, I think that uh, they were well utilized, uh, really, in all of them. And uh, I thought that it was good to see them in this one. Again, uh, we had Ray Fiennes as M, uh, Ben Wishaw as Q, and Naomi Harris as Moneypenny. Um, how did you feel they were in this movie? And then we look at them sort of, you know, their involvement with Bond over the course of the five films. I'll ask you first, Mark. Well, I love them. I love yeah. Ray Fiennes as M. I love Naomi Harris's Money Penny. I loved, I loved Ben Wishaw as Q. I loved uh, Rory Kinnear as Tanner. Yeah, um, that's a great point. I, I should have included him in there. Them, yeah. I love them. And if they do a soft reboot, I would love to see them continue on with a new Bond. I would hate to think this was the last. I mean, they've carried other supporting characters over from Bond to Bond with just the knowledge like okay this is a new bond same character. yeah they've carried they've carried q over before didn't or, they've uh, carried m over they've yeah. carried q over um q's been with five different bonds oh desmond llewellyn's been with five different bonds but um i love those characters um closing the book on it though i mean i don't know we haven't talked about it yet but if you're going to close the book on daniel craig the one thing i didn't need to see yeah was the death of james bond uh, that's the only when I talk about how much I love this movie. Yeah. And if you're going to close the book on Daniel Craig, fine. But and the whole time I was sitting in the theater, my first viewing and then just soaking in this movie, loving this movie the whole time. I'm like, God, I hope they don't kill him off. This will be up there with Casino Royale, Skyfall, as far as top Daniel Craig. All I ask is just don't kill off James Bond. Would would you have been okay if it was sort of ambiguous where you wonder is it's not this exact situation the way the movie is where you go like oh was he able to possibly survive what just happened instead of definitively like okay yeah he's not around anymore. No, I didn't even I mean in the again to go back to the novel you only live twice when Bond goes to poison the poison garden on that island kills Blofeld he's it blows up. He's missing and presumed dead. Everybody thinks he died on that island. Yeah. He comes back for the book Man with the Golden Gun. But the whole time, you know, when they reveal reveal the family, I'm like, okay, go with the family at the end of the movie. Because I and I and I knew ahead of time that this movie the ending was all I heard was the ending was divisive with fans. Okay. So I was like, okay, that there's a possibility they're killing him off and just don't do it. They introduced the daughter. I was like, okay, maybe that's it. Maybe the fact that he goes off with the daughter and the mother, maybe they kill off the daughter, he goes off with the mother, maybe he goes off the yeah. mother, he goes off with the daughter. Just don't because I'm I'm having too much fun in this movie. Please don't kill him off. And then of course at the end they kill him off. But I that's just the one and, and especially knowing that unlike other movies, like when Han Solo dies, when Harrison Ford dies in Force Awakens, you know that's it. The character's dead. Harrison Ford is Han Solo. You yeah. can do prequels, you can do solo Star Wars story, but that character is gone. With Bond, you know there's somebody coming else. So it is after him, there's some James Bond will return, as we know. Yeah. And it just seemed like I don't know, it seemed like a cheap ending to the to the to the Daniel Craig saga. When I sit down and I take out that when I and I'm doing my massive watch through, when I get to the Daniel Craig movies. It's going to be like the Dark Knight trilogy. It's like, okay, well, we're going to see the beginning, the middle, and the end, but it's its own thing. Right. And the Daniel Craig, James Bond is kind of an 
kind of to use a Marvel, it's kind of a alter multiverse of James Bonds, and you know, yeah, he died in that one, right? Uh, well, Sam, same two questions. I want to let you weigh in on MQ, Money Penny, and uh, Tanner, if you like, just your thoughts on that. But then, yeah, we'll talk uh, then after that uh, transition into the the death of James Bond. I mean, I. I mean, I really liked, uh, you know, all three of those characters. And I also want to point out that, you know, for the beginning of Craig's tenure, Judy Dench was M and that was kind of, yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. And that was very special to me because I mean, as a kid who grew up kind of in the Brosnan era, harshly, and then, uh, you know, in the, in the Craig era, uh, Judy Dench was my M. So when she died in Skyfall, that was really impactful to, you know, me and my friends who, you know, grew up with her as M. And then I thought that Ray finds and really kind of hit out of the park, um, you know, taking over as M and kind of brought back some of that, uh, you know, energy from, the uh, the Connor era of M. So I really like him, and uh, you know the Naomi Harris always did a good job as Money Penny. And then, um, other than the fact that then that they didn't have him soon enough, I thought that Ben Wishaw was great as uh, Q. So no complaints really um, there at all. I thought they did a solid job with that. Um, as far as the death goes, I'm kind with Mark. I really, you know, they they really didn't need, need to kill Bond. I'm and you know now this has kind of put on the the lens. Like I even watched uh, Casino Royale the the uh, the other night, and I was like, wow, Casino Royale is a great movie. Too bad this is the Bond that you know dies at the end of his tenure. So it's kind of, I guess, colored my lens of Craig's era. Uh, now entirely um but i also feel like even if you had to kill them off i don't really feel like his death was earned i feel like they could have given him like more of a noble death like um like fighting blowfeld like mark like mark mentioned i feel like it could have been more impactful kind of like they did with tony stark um you know sacrificing himself at the end of Endgame. I feel like this is more of like an okay. Well, I can't see my family because I'm infected and I'm too sad. So I'm just going to you know let the missiles uh, kill me instead. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, sort of a, a really heroic gesture, you know, to uh, turn towards uh, you know Star Trek, even though they undid it. The uh, the Spock death scene at the end of Wrath of Khan is so moving because he knowingly you know sacrifices himself in in that moment, and to have gotten something like that from Bond. I, as you were speaking, I was already thinking of you know Tony Stark knowing that he's not going to be able to survive wielding the infinity gauntlet even with the armor on so yeah i think that uh it could have been more special it didn't 
bother me per se that they killed him, but the actual execution, my pun intended, right. I guess, the actual portrayal of the death, I was like, oh, I, I kind of wanted something more. I wanted him to have to go back in and, you know, maybe one of those things where, you know, the, the wire doesn't reach anymore and he has to hold both ends of it, you know, and uh, still be there. You know, something, you know, one of those deals, you know, something that's a little bit more high tech than that. I, I think if you were going to sacrifice the character, giving it some more meaning. And then also what I said before, if uh, he and Blofeld just sort of, even if they were standing there and it's the exact same ending they had, if they were standing there together, like, well, I guess this is how it ends for us. There would have been something more fitting to it. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree overall, Mark, that, the, you know, if you were fairly confident, you weren't going to tell any more James Bond stories of the new actor. Sure. Go ahead and kill him. Uh, but I guess because I'm comfortable with uh, living in multiverses and alternate timelines, it, it, it didn't, it doesn't, it's not going to bother me when we get a new bond, you know, because clearly this bond is not the Pierce Brosnan bond. You know, you can make the case that's that past transitions were in fact the same character, you know, but uh, this one really felt completely different anyway. So maybe that's just what it'll be from here on in. And maybe in five more movies, you know, in 15 years, we can expect that bond to die too. But as we do look to the future, I want to know sort of what your thoughts are. I'll ask you first, Mark, your thoughts are in terms of what we, you know, how, how long you think it should be before we get a new bond film and uh if you have any thoughts about who should be bond um i mean i think they should do it sooner rather than later i mean we've already waited five six years since the last one um i think they need to go in a more after coming off of the craig era i think they need to go a little more fun kind of just go back to kind of like golden eye was make bond re, make bond fun again I don't know if that's like MAGA, M-B-F-A, make Bond yeah, fun Mabafa. again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah. I, 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 I want them to go back. The next move, I don't need an origin story. We've already done that. Sure. No origin story. Just jump in and have Bond on missions. No personal angst or anything like that. Go a little lighter. Not super. I mean, again, GoldenEye is kind of a, the perfect example of just kind of make Bond where you just go in and just have fun. Um, I don't, there's nobody as far as casting goes. I mean, they traditionally go for unknowns anyway. So I, I don't know if they're going to go for, I don't know. I hear, I keep hearing like Henry Cavill, Tom Hardy. Traditionally, again, they never really go for the big names. Yeah. No. And, and my thought on both of them is it's not even so much what kind of uh, portrayal they would give. I feel like both of them to start a new series of movies with either of them. Uh, I mean, maybe they both look older than they are, but I feel like somebody younger, uh, less well known uh, is fine. Uh, and you know, I think it's sort of like what we were saying about, uh, Lashana Lynch as the new 007. If you're going to make any decisions based on, you know, the, the race of the actor, I think it should be because somebody, you know, read for the part and just blew you away. And you're like, this is what we want. I don't think you should go into it. And, uh, you know, this is the ethnicity. This is the, uh, we need to do a, a, a new gender for James Bond. You know, if if someone is 
you know, you have a story that you want to tell and you go and you see somebody that you think is right for it. I think it's fine. Look, I, I think that uh, as much as I loved all the talk of uh, Idris Elba possibly being James Bond, he's much too old. You know, uh, he can't start now. If, uh, if he had been up for it when they cast Daniel Craig, maybe he was much too young because that's like 15 years ago or more. So I don't know. He just, uh, it didn't come at the right time for him, but, uh, I mean, he's so phenomenal as, uh, di john luther on on that series that uh to see him ha- as any spy if if he is going if, if they want to have him be a spy character of some kind i would love to see that movie he does not have to be james bond but uh you know something in in a james bond vein i would love to see that um but i do agree i think i'm leaning towards uh you know somebody that is either unknown or more like unknown to us here in the u.s you know somebody who's go ahead I really they're if I had to pick an actor that I know, David Tennant. Um, no, not David Tennant. No, 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 no. Um, I would go. I, you know, honestly, there's an actor, Aiden Turner. Um, he was in the Hobbit movies, and he he's on TV. He's probably more well known as playing a character called Poldark on uh, a British TV series that's been on about five or six seasons. But uh, and he's younger. He's in his uh, probably by now. He's in his mid thirties. But I saw an Agatha Christie movie he did called And Then There Were None. And he's dressing for dinner. He comes down, he's got short black hair, and he's got the tux, and he's got the cigarette. And after seeing it, I was like, damn, if he wouldn't be a good James Bond. And um, I think, and in fact, you know what? Interesting. Dennis Miller saw him in a play, and I remember him remarking on his show that Aiden Turner would be a good James Bond. And I and at the time, like, yeah, that's the he was, uh, I, I thought when you said the name, I thought I knew who he was. He was the vampire on the British version of being human. Right. Or did you I, see you that? Series? I don't know if he's a vampire. He was on being human. So that's probably yeah, who you're I, thinking of. I, I think, yeah, I think yeah. that is who I, I'm uh, thinking of. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time getting, you know, there's, there's ways to visually, you know, download a photo and be able to zoom in on it uh in a way that uh you know will make it look better but just for the sake of uh showing uh our our visual audience uh what we're talking about uh, that is him right there and uh yeah i mean he's uh, definitely got a uh james bond kind of vibe there for sure and that is uh certainly uh somebody to be considered uh, but yeah i mean he that's a good example of somebody that's not you know he he's not superman he's not bane slash venom you know he's somebody that's not like a household name and uh yeah somebody's been on television you know had smaller roles in in movies uh i'm fine with that uh what are your thoughts sam on the future of the james bond uh film franchise i'm pretty much with mark i think make bond uh you know, fun again, not necessarily, you don't have to go campy, but just make them, uh, you know, fun movies to just go and see, uh, you know, kind of popcorn, which is again, the other thing too is as much as I enjoyed, um, Craig's movies, I feel like the fact they, uh, made them all into sequels of each other to where they tied in, uh, kind of brought down Craig's series overall. I feel like it was cool to do that for uh, Quantum of Solace just because they had never really had a sequel before, but then to make them all sequels was kind of a, a thing you know, yeah. that got cumbersome, especially with all the distance between the movies. So I, I feel like 
if you're going to have a if you're going to have a sequel series, do it like every two or three years of Bond movies. Um, but uh, don't wait, you know, don't wait five years. I'd like I'd like to get Bond sooner rather than than later. And yeah, then uh, I agree. You, you know, make a little just more fun, kind of like I guess the Mission Impossible movies, or even the uh, the Expendables, but with a little higher budget, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of, uh, you know, I don't really have anyone who I'd like to see as an actor, except like Mark said, maybe, uh, you know, an unknown that Aiden Turner guy, he, I could see him in the role. Um, well, let me throw something in from our friend Lynn B who has jumped into the live chat. How about Will Sterling? And, uh, I, you, you tell me if you can think of anybody better to who's going to look better in a suit than Will Sterling, you know, Aiden I mean, Turner for one. Uh, all right, but uh, come on, Will Sterling, I think, is uh, clearly the way we all need to go. Uh, Ed Bernal has an interesting thought. Uh, he's referring to the protagonist and tenet, uh, John David Washington. Uh, he's a tremendous actor. That movie was confusing, is all I don't know who that is. Who is that? Did you see Tenet? No, it's Denzel's son. Once I found out it, once I found out it wasn't about David Tenet, I was like, no, yeah, you knew you didn't need to see it. Uh, it's uh, Denzel Washington's son. He was also in the Spike Lee movie, Black Klansman. Uh, he's he's tremendous, and uh, I hope to see him in big things. Um, they would not cast an American as James Bond. I just can't imagine it. Yeah, no, well, we can, we can hire Brits as Superman, Spider-Man, Batman. You know, Brits can be anything that, uh, that are Americans. You know, uh, we'll get a British Captain America one day, I'm sure. We nearly but. had an American James Bond twice, though. Did we really? Yes. Uh, once George Lazenby left, they cast John, an American actor called John Gavin. Okay. He then, then he was all signed up, but then they got Sean Connery back, and they're like, sorry, cut yeah. him off. Then for Octopussy, Roger Moore was not going to come back. They cast Josh Brolin's dad, James Brolin. He wow. was signed up. He signed on the contract. He showed up for the day, first day of filming. Uh, they knew Never Say Never Again was coming out with Sean Connery. And they're like, wait a minute. Well, let's go back to Roger and like beg him. They yeah. begged Roger to come back. Roger said, okay, fine. And if you watch the Octopussy DVD special features, they have an interview with James Brolin. He said, the easiest money they made, they paid him the full salary for being James Bond. Nice. He has there's footage of him as James Bond, but they're like, Well, we got Roger, let's get him in there. And, and then so uh nearly and then had one, two American James Bond. And then one day he showed up on set and uh Roger Moore was sitting in his chair, you know. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Well, you got a big check out of it though. Jo Josh Brolin and uh and Eric Stoltz should uh make a movie where you know they play James Bond and Marty McFly uh together. Uh, Ed Bernal uh points out uh, don't forget Adam West or so he said. I can't imagine that Adam West was ever actually cast as James Bond. I could see him playing Roger Moore in a movie about Roger Moore. <laughs> But I can see Adam West actually playing and actually, James Bond. Point of trivia for James Bond fans: the first actor who ever portrayed James Bond on screen in the 1950s TV adaptation of Casino Royale was an American actor named J uh, Barry Nelson. That is the first James Bond on record. Sean Connery was not the first James Bond. 
Barry Nelson in the TV production of Casino Royale as an American James Bond, which is the reason why they didn't have the rights to it until 2005, 2006, when they could reacquire the rights from whoever owned it at the time. Oh, I see. But if you go back, it's on YouTube. Look up Casino Royale, Barry Nelson, whatever. Um, uh, Peter Laurie p- plays Lashif, the Mads Mikkelsen character. Is a one is hour TV. A, so that was for television, but it, it's yeah. one of those things that exists and you can actually watch. It's not yeah. like one of those on one of those TV shows that's like lost in nope. antiquity nope. because they recorded over it. Nope. You know, I have many episodes of, of it, like many episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I appreciate uh, you guys taking the time to chat about Bond and uh, Sam. I want you to tell people where they can find you and where they can find your show, including the episode where you and Mark talk about this very same movie. Well, if you'd like a more extended, uh, you know, podcast where I think Mark and I spent about three hours uh, talking Bond with my friend Sean, who was also a big Bond fan. And you can find that on my uh, YouTube, either on my YouTube page, which is youtube.com forward slash what report. Or if you want to uh, go to Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, you can search Whitfield Report there. And uh, for all my podcasts and uh, everything else. And uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I always like to look at my podcast as the uh, the monarch notes to Sam's podcast. His three hour version. This is the shortened version. We're not even the cliff notes. We're not classy enough. We're the monarch notes. Uh, And uh, yes, Sam, of course, it's uh, great to chat with both of you. And uh, Mark, where can people find you and Uh, uh, some of your uh, simian related podcast work? Oh, let me let me let me move the, the, the camera over here. You'll see the Planet of the Apes right here. Beautiful. Um, yeah, Podcast of the Apes. By the way, they, the the three-hour Whitfield report is only part two. I think there's a 90-minute part one. So yes. I think altogether, Sam, we did about four and a half hours. So wow, yes. you guys That's are you guys are bond. making me look bad that uh you know I need a nap after an hour and 12 minutes. That was a lot of bond, but I'm I'm still doing the podcast of the apes, Planet of the Apes fan podcast. Um I'm right now. I'm. I'm. Me and my co-hosts are trying to get back together again. I'm. I've mostly been going solo doing. Um. During COVID, I've been doing, um, the coffee and quarantine commentaries of the uh, 1974 TV series, which so is very, I'm, which is very entertaining. Okay. I'm not even oh, a, thank you, Sam. And I'm not no, even been, that big of a Planet of the Apes fan. Oh, thank you. So I've been kind of doing those, um, but we're the three of us are going to kind of get back together and get back, okay. and back rolling. Maybe maybe pop on YouTube, but I'm on Facebook. I'm not really on Twitter all that much, but I'm out. But there. if they want to tweet at you, it's Mark Coin C O Y N E Hunt, and that's where they can. Find well, it's you. Mark Coin. Um, I think it is Mark Coin. I think yeah, it okay. is. Yeah, I'm almost so many different idea uh, IDs, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's hard to you know, it's hard to keep uh keep it all track uh keep track of all of it and that's the thing you're never gonna hark it uh you're never gonna hack into mark's accounts because his passwords are all just as complicated so uh, uh but uh, as for me you can find me on twitter and instagram at christian dmz follow at blackcast on twitter like the blackcast on facebook 
And of course, blackcast.com. It's always spelled B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. Uh, we have uh, many more movies to talk about in the weeks ahead. Uh, we will uh, still, even though it's been out for a few weeks now, we're still going to talk about Venom 2. Uh, let, uh, there will be Carnage. Let there be Carnage. I always get confused as to what the actual title is, but that's all right. The one with Carnage. That's actually the Friends episode where Woody Harrelson plays Carnage. The one with Carnage. Uh, it's uh, bad things happen to Marcel the monkey. I'll just uh, spoil that for all of you. And, uh, uh, you know, just... Some other movies that I've seen that just uh, I can't shake my head uh, hard enough about Many Saints of Newark or uh, Halloween. <sighs> and uh, Dune is coming from the time we're recording. It's a few days away. And uh, I, I, I don't know what to think. I've heard from people who have liked it that have seen it. I've heard from people who can't, who are just make the point that I can't say what I think. So uh, because of the embargo. So uh, I wonder what their thoughts are. I look forward to hearing all of it. And, uh, you know, we've got a, a big Marvel movie, Eternals, coming up. Uh, so uh, I, I love that we've got movies. We've got lots of movies to talk about and uh, many more in the weeks ahead. And uh, speaking of Will Sterling, our pal Will and I, we haven't even talked about the fact that uh, we drove uh, about three hours uh, from Los Angeles to go see Kiss down in Chula Vista, uh, south of San Diego. So we got a lot to talk about. Uh, but uh, that is not this time on the Blackcast. We'll start all of that next time on the Blackcast. Uh-huh.